Hey there, and welcome to Queer I Am, Lord, a brand new show where two or more gather to Kiki, in God's name, I like to say. I'm Jorge Olivares of HeyJorge.com, and my guest is somebody who, weirdly enough, probably knows the origin stories of my Catholicism more than all the other people I will have a chance to interview for this show. Because 15, 16 years ago, when I was trying to have more of a role in my church as a youth group leader, um, had an opportunity to meet several folks from within the Texas area who had come to my parish to help us out with uh, essentially summer Bible study and teaching classes to, to the young kids in the neighborhood. And that's why I met Ben Steffi. Ben Steffi, who was originally from the Woodlands area in Texas, who came with his parish. And at the time, I don't think I quite knew my queerness. And I don't know if Ben knew about his queerness at that time. But interestingly enough, as we had this conversation almost a decade and a half later, like how both of us have arrived to our queerness, have arrived to our association or disassociation with the church. Like so much has happened as one could imagine in that amount of time. So I'm excited to welcome Ben to talk about not only what has happened in the course of that time, but to talk about the importance of that having happened and why the person I'm talking to today may or may not look similarly to the person that I talked to then. Uh, so Ben, thanks for agreeing to, to chat with me. And it's great to actually talk to you after so long. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's awesome to reconnect like this. It's, it's great. So I love that you're, you're still living in the Texas area, correct? Yeah, I'm now living in San Marcos, just uh, south of Austin. Nice. And I mentioned you were, at the time when we first met, you were from the Woodlands area, which is outside of Houston, um, several hours away from my hometown. But to, since we did start with this connection, what was your association with the church at the time? Like, what did, what did your upbringing look like within the Catholic faith? Sure. Um, yeah, so I actually grew up north of Dallas in Frisco, Texas. Um, and while I was there, I was pretty involved. Like I was an altar boy. My mom was very involved in the CCE classes and stuff. So I was raised just kind of like always being around the church, not during mass, but just like random days of the week for various events or whatever. Um, and then right before my eighth grade year, we moved to the to the woodlands and church kind of became like the only friend group I really had, you know, because in eighth grade, like everybody already has their little groups and stuff. And, and I didn't have that. So church was sort of my social outlet um, and led to me getting very involved and in, yeah, going on mission trips for several years in a row. <laughs> I mean, I so. Full disclosure, I'm turning 33 this year. And so if we're talking about like 16, 17 years ago, I was 16, 17. And like, yeah. that's usually around the time where a lot of us are figuring out our queerness. Uh, you're much younger than I am. And so you were, how old would you say you were when you made these trips? Oh, um, I was probably like, well, I, I'm about to turn 30 this year. So I was probably 13-ish, uh, 12 or 13, somewhere around there. So, at, I mean, I kind of alluded to it, but at that time, did you know about who you probably were or who you were going to end up being? I think I had an inkling, but I hadn't, like, assigned a word to it yet. Um, you know, like, I think I had had some messages given to me that there were, like, 
gay people, but like it was always very negative connotation, like, you know, um, and not something I talked extensively about with anybody really. Um, so I, I think I, I knew that I was like different and that I was like feeling something different, but I didn't have a word for it. I didn't like have an identity around it. Mm-hmm. I think something could be said about like sort of in the same boat you were in. When I grew up in a small community and we had a youth group, a lot of my close friends were a part of this youth group, which is what made my coming to terms with my gayness that much more difficult. Cause it's like, all right, like it's probably hard to tell regular friends who are not church affiliated about who you are. But when those close friends are tied to a church where you think is so unaccepting and so unwelcoming to your identity, it's like, well, fuck, do I come out to them? Do I not come out to them? How do I, like, did you find yourself in similar situations that because of this, this general understanding of what Catholicism, its view about homosexuality was, that you shied yes. away from being honest? Yeah, definitely. Um... I mean, I remember even feeling like I had like a different mask for a different group of people, like mm. every, you know, like, cause I, I was in theater. So I had this sort of like more progressive, more open theater group of friends at school. And then I had these, these church friends. And, you know, for me, I, I really started to move away from the church before I came out like that. I, and I don't think that would have happened in reverse uh, for me oh, gotcha. um, just because it, it was easier for me to like I had by the time I came out I had pretty much lost like a lot of that group that that I went to church with because I wasn't going to church anymore Mm -hmm. I I think something can also like when you start to come to terms with your sexuality it is such a scary thing and you always try to reach out for the people who you're closest with to kind of even if you don't fully reveal yourself you kind of use them as the buoys to get you to the place where you need to go. Um, so who were those buoys at the time? If you know you had removed yourself from the, your Catholic church, from your Catholic group, who were those, those people that you really could look forward to, to being there at those, those very difficult moments? Yeah, it really became my, my theater friends. Um, so I, I was heavily involved in theater. I was like uh, part of the, I was an officer in the thespian club and like went to the thespian conventions. And, um, you know, my, my best friend to this day, uh, she was just phenomenal. Like I came out to her before anybody else, uh, like a full six months before I told my parents. She, she and her mom actually helped me figure out how I would tell my parents. And, you know, uh, so I really did definitely, they were like the lighthouse in the storm, you know, (laughs) Uh, it was definitely very scary, but I knew, you know, she had a gay cousin who I had met and she was always like very, very like defending him to people and just like a loyal friend. Um, and so I, I kind of knew that that was like a safe harbor that I could, I could talk to her about anything and it would be okay. Um, and she even helped me figure out how to come out to, you know, other friends in theater who like, you know, the Woodlands is not like a bastion of progressivism or anything. (laughs) So, uh, it's very, very waspy and, um, it, yeah, you know, I, I eventually tried to start a gay straight alliance at my high school. Um, my senior year and that like really that brought out even the theater kids who were like not okay with it but uh was an interesting experience (laughs) i am i mistaken in remembering that 
in these trips that you would make to our hometown for these mission trips for the vacation Bible school that we had created. Um, were both your parents there? Was your mom there? Yeah, my mom came um, and she would come because there was always a, um, not enough chaperones and she would kind of get like talked into doing it. My dad didn't ever come because my dad is not Catholic per se. He's, he's not really organized religion at all. Um, God, yes, organized religion, no kind of type. <laughs> um, but my mom came to, I think, almost every single one. And she kept going even when they started going to different places because um, my brother and sister were still in the in the youth group. So, uh, yeah, she came on quite a few of them. I don't know if she was on the very first one, I think, the, but the next two or three that we did, she was there, yeah. I, I bring this up because it really was a family event for you and the, the other Steffies. Like, I remember yeah. your mom, I remember your brother, I remember your sister, obviously I remember you. Like, when you talk about someone's entire family being ingrained in a particular aspect of Catholicism, like you guys exhibited it, at least from yeah. the outside looking in, it was like, this, this family is involved and invested. Yeah. Um, so what was that process like when you started stepping away? Uh, it was, it was hard. Um, you know, luckily, like I said, my, my dad was never as involved and he would occasionally come to mass when my mom like guilted him into it or something, but it was not a very regular occurrence for him to attend those things. So luckily I sort of had him to fall back on. And he, I think helped like my mom realize like clamping down and trying to force me to go to church when I don't want to is only going to make me resent it even more. And so eventually she, she sort of came to accept it. And now it's one of those things that, you know, it'll come up in conversation and she quickly will just change the subject to something else (laughs) because she knows it'll just be an argument if if we really get into it. But um, yeah, I I have to say my dad was a, a huge part of that. And, you know, and then, the friend group that I had, uh, most of whom were not particularly religious. I think one of the most interesting parts about growing up and going to college and coming to terms with your sexuality is understanding that the relationship that we have with the church that we grew up in doesn't need to look the same. Like the relationship we have with ourselves during this entire process doesn't look the same. So why is it that the relationship we have with the church needs to look the same during this whole, like, come to Jesus moment where like, oh, this church isn't as accepting as I thought it would be about who I am. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I need to assess and reevaluate whether or not I want to be there. Um, Was there like a particular instant? Was there just an amalgamation of things that kind of came together where you thought, as a gay person, as a queer person, I don't need to deal with this anymore. Uh, yeah, there was, there is actually a moment that I, that I talk about a lot. Um, we had this like Wednesday night sort of social sort of like talking about uh, controversial issue night thing where like all the youth group would get to, well, not everybody, it was a smaller group of us, kind of the core most involved. Um, and there was one night where like the topic we were going to talk about was same sex marriage and, and that kind of thing. And they separated us into groups. Like one would argue for, one would argue against. And I was in the argue against group. 
And the only argument that we wrote down, like the other team came out with all of these arguments for why it was okay that gay people like be in love and get married. And ours just said, uh, keys don't fit into other keys. They fit into locks. And that was the only thing. And I was like, this is absurd. And like, oh I my think gosh. for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think for me, it was like, that was the moment when I realized the church could be fallible. And it was like the crack in the dam that led to me questioning literally the most fundamental parts of, of religion. <laughs> but, but even think about that, like the, the way in which that was framed, it goes to my biggest gripe about how people approach sexuality, especially within the context of religion and spirituality, is that they, they already go to the sexual part of it. And yeah. saying that a key only goes into a lock, it's like, all right, um, you're already trying to point out that this is a sexual act for you, and that by the very nature of me loving who I want to love, you have reduced it to genitalia and reduced it to actions mm -hmm. that some people do not do. Yeah, no, I mean, that was even something, like I mentioned before, uh, my senior year, I spent basically the whole year trying to get this gay straight alliance off the ground at my high school. And one of the most common things I got, not only from other students, but from like administrators and stuff was, well, we don't really think it's appropriate to have a club that's about sex. And I was like, this club is not about sex. It's literally my intention for it was a safe space for the other. I knew there were other gay people at the high school who were going to come even after I left. And I was like, I just want a place where they can vent even about like what's going on and find a little bit of support because, you know, again, the Woodlands is not the easiest place to grow up. Uh, you know, there's more churches than probably grocery stores. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can believe that. Um, and, and But the weird thing is, even if it is about sex, so what? Like, especially within a high school environment, when you have sex ed classes, when I'm sure you're having more than enough premarital sex happening between um, opposite sex couples, then why not be there to support kids who are already struggling to understand all of the facets of who they are. And yes, we are all sexual beings, even if we are gay, even if we're not gay, like there's a component there that needs to be talked about. So yes, there's no curriculum to a gay straight alliance, but if it comes to like, hey, I feel this way, or hey, I'm thinking of doing something, talking it out with other people who are probably dealing with the same feelings is so helpful. Like why are safe spaces seen as like either exclusionary because it's like, oh, if you have a gay straight alliance, like there's no straight club. It's like, well, everything around us is a straight club. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all of that I just find so aggravating. But let's talk a little bit about the decision when you moved out of the woodlands, because mm -hmm. I think when you take yourself out of these environments, there's so much growth and so much learning that can happen. I mean, it happened when I left my hometown, which was a very sheltered community. So talk about that process of leaving and that growth that happened because of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I came to San Marcos actually and I've stayed here. So I, I kind of fell in love with it. I came here for school. And I mean, at that time I had been out for uh, about a year. Like I was out for the ma majority of the second half of my senior year in high school. Um, and so like, I really just like, 
tried to be myself. That that was like the project for me because I I was very conscious of the fact that like you know I part of the reason I felt like I was good at theater was because I had spent my whole life like pretending to be different versions of myself. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like getting to college was like okay I have to figure out what parts of those are really me and which parts of these are the facade I've put up to like fit into various groups. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, it was like sometimes exhilarating and, and awesome and fun and sometimes like painful and, you know, you make a lot of mistakes along the way, but, um, I feel like that, like, if I hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have ever wound up where I am now, which, you know, I'm very happy with. So, um, I think that was a really important, like personal introspective project that I spent basically the first two years away from home working on. When was the last time you physically went to mass? Ooh, um, I think actually my fiance's cousin got married a few years ago and that was a mass. Um, my brother got married and that was a mass, but like outside of weddings, uh, I was probably still in high school. It was, I was probably like 17. What is the most, um, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but what is the best part about not going to mass for you? Um, I think just like when I have sat through even like the, the wedding masses, I, I'm just having this like debate with what I'm hearing in my head the whole time. Um, and, and a lot of that stems like not even from the way the church treats queer people, but just like the fundamentals of like morality. And like, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, like I, I'm an out and out atheist. So it's for me, it's like even just like God existing and, and wanting things is like stuff that I am just debating in my head the whole time. I'm like coming up with responses to like the homily, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's good like to be able to find clarity and to allow yourself to enjoy that clarity by not going right. Like if, if you understand there's going to be so many um, frustrating conversations you have in your head by going to something that is just not healthy for you, then remove yourself. And that could be just as healthy. Um, I'm glad that you've now talked about um, being an atheist and kind of forgetting all that was before. Um, Because I think that there is such a a beauty in understanding that you already understand it. Like that you don't have to go along with the musings of like, oh, the Catholic church and God and this and the calling. Sometimes you could just say, no, I don't believe in it. I don't want to deal with that and be happy in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that like my mom, for example, really struggled to understand uh, was like, well, like, then how do you know what the meaning of like living is? Like, what is the point? What is the goal you're working towards in your life? And I think what weirdly enough has brought me a lot of comfort is being able to say, I don't know, you know, like, not knowing the answer is okay. And like, maybe the point of life is figuring out what it is you want to do with your life. You know, like that blank slate to me was like, just totally liberating. It was like, Mm -hmm. I can paint with whatever colors I want and off the canvas, on the canvas, whatever. (laughs) Uh, My life can be what I want it to be. And yeah, it's been very freeing. 
I mean, what did you say? And just by the way you described that, that there are a lot of similarities that can be made between queer identity and atheist identity. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot more, especially now there's a lot more understanding of the queer identity that like, I'm not obviously running to people here who don't agree with it and are horribly homophobic or transphobic or whatever, but there's a lot of like, just kind of myth about atheists and like what atheists believe. And, and one of those is the fact that like all atheists believe the same thing. Like I very rarely find anybody who has exactly the same like definitional idea of what being an atheist means. Um, you know, we don't have meetings. So like <laughs> we're not coming up with like a list of like, this is what it means to be an atheist. It's whatever it means to any individual person. I really am glad that you said that because one of the biggest problems that I had with coming to terms with my sexuality was that I was constantly trying to compare it to somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, am I a bad gay because I don't do that? Or am I a good gay because I don't do that? Um, Like it's constantly this battle between, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing it the wrong way? Am I good or am I bad? And the answer is, there is no good or right way or wrong way or bad way. Like there's, there's just being and accepting that you're going to make mistakes along the way. And I'm so appreciative that you said the thing about atheists too, because as somebody who doesn't really know that many atheists in his life, I could be that dumb person who was like, well, of course they all think the same thing. No, they don't. They, they've come to that realization through their own unique ways. And they are still living in that realization in their own unique ways. And so just let it be. They are not wrong and they are not right. The same way you are not wrong or you are not right. Um, I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, yeah. I There was a really interesting interaction I had my freshman year at Texas State actually. Uh, we had like one of those common experience classes that all the freshmen take or whatever. And uh, they were kind of going around the room and like doing one of those introductory things. And I just decided I was going to tell everybody I was an agnostic atheist. And at the time, my definition of that ag- agnosticism meant knowledge and atheist was about faith. Right. So it was like, I recognize I don't know what I don't know, but I don't believe that this is the way it is. Mm. And the professor actually was like, like somebody was like, what does that mean? And I started to answer the professor was like, oh, it means that he doesn't know whether he believes or not or something. And it's like, I run into that a lot where it's just, yeah, people project their understanding of what these words mean. And it's, you know, when really it means probably billions of different things to billions of different people. I hate that. And I will just speak for myself. I hate that when we're growing up and we are living in our Catholic faith and we're exploring our Catholic faith, that we are somehow called to look at atheists and atheism as like the boogeyman and like, you don't ever want to talk to them. Like they don't believe in God. Um, Talk about kind of your evolution from being one of those Catholics who I'm not saying that that's necessarily how you were conditioned, but like how coming from a faith that is so in your face about believing in God and believing in what's out there and what's to come and what is our destiny. Um, And then coming to terms with like, there's no reason why there should be a negative connotation to atheism. Yeah. Um, It was, it was a long journey for me. Like, like I said, I went through, 
like I kind of mentioned, I used to identify as agnostic and then agnostic atheist and then sort of evolved. But, um, you know, like I mentioned, the, the moment that broke the dam for me was that night with the locks and keys thing, because I think that allowed me to see that, like, you know, I was raised believing the Pope is infallible. Your priest is infallible. Like whatever they say, whatever the Bible says, whatever you hear when you're in mass is gospel and and there is no questioning it you're not even allowed um and when i realized that like that was not the case like this is a really poor argument and this is supposed to be the people teaching us how to like make these arguments in the real world uh it just sort of like everything led from that like i started questioning catholicism specifically and started looking at other christian denominations and didn't find any of those that felt just right. And like, I toyed around with Buddhism for a little bit and read a bunch of like Thich Nhat Hanh and, and stuff. And um, that didn't feel quite right. I, I still identify with a lot of the f- philosophy side of that religion, but the religious side just wasn't for me. And, you know, eventually I kind of came to the realization that for me, like the existence of at least a benevolent, omnipotent, all-powerful being just like doesn't logically make sense i i look around the world and there's just so much pain and hurt and like i know if i had the power to like snap my fingers and cure all the kids with brain cancer i i wouldn't even think about it that would be done now you know um and so like when i started thinking about it in that context it was just really hard for me to find any religion that, that like worshiped a God, because I was left with the options of either God doesn't have that power and therefore I wouldn't worship him. Uh, or he has the power and won't use it. And in that scenario, I also wouldn't worship him Mm -hmm. or probably most simply, he just doesn't exist. And, you know, Occam's razor from there led me to being an atheist. (laughs) I, I would say that one of my closest coworkers who I love dearly to this day, um, is an atheist, somebody who is culturally Jewish. And I always would love it every time somehow religion would come up. And he would say, you know, my dad never smoked a day in his life, got lung cancer, died after two months. Where was God there? And he would always use that example several times when religion would come up. And I would look at him and I would smile and I said, I don't know the answer, but I love that you pushed me to figure it out. Because yeah. it's true. Like if, if we think about all the beautiful wonders of the world, you have to think about all the disasters and you have yeah. to think about all the just horrible things that happen on a daily basis that we're either privy or not privy about. And how do you explain it? And I love that I can't explain it. And I love that somebody is out there always pushing me to try to figure it out because it forces me to get out of my little Catholic box to do that and to understand that people aren't viewing the world the way I'm viewing the world and want answers that maybe none of us can answer. Yeah. No, that, that's exactly right. And I mean, that's a much better reaction than I usually get. Like if I, <laughs> I've, I've used that argument with like my mom or like my grandma and it, you know, the responses I get are, infinitely frustrating but uh no I just you know I there's a lot of beauty in the world and I I always find that 
I find that coming from humans. Like, and and so I almost like if I worship anything, it's like the macro level, like species level humanity and the things that we've. I mean, the fact that we're able to have this conversation through like data flying through the air, it's like <laughs> little computer that I can fit in my pocket. You know, like that. That's it's amazing. It's yeah. inspiring, literally. Like. Um, I want to try to bridge two things together that you've mentioned and sure. kind of get your take on this because you said that the, the last few times you've been at mass was for a wedding. Mm. You mentioned that you are engaged. Like, have you thought about just how wonderful it's going to be for you to not have your wedding in a religious setting or in yeah. a mass or like, like, Talk about that and like being excited about doing what you need to do to celebrate what others, how you've been present at others to do, how you're going to welcome others to experience your love in a completely different setting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's sort of like that blank slate thing. Like, you know, one of the great things about like A, being gay and getting married and B, not being religious and getting married is I can really do, we can do whatever we want with it. And like, I'm, I'm pulling inspiration from like the other gay and, and queer weddings I've been to, you know, like I, I went to one wedding where they had a cake that was like their favorite video game character, you know? And like, cool. I mean, <laughs> my fiance does not play very many video games, but like he, he's a musician and he, he is religious. So like, that's going to be a, a compromise we have to make, you know, he considers himself Catholic, but he's sort of like a working Methodist. Um, mm -hmm. He performs in their choir and stuff. And uh, so, you know, that's going to be something that we figure out. We'll probably have a close friend or something just officiate it and, you know, get the license and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's really great to like, we're going to establish sort of our own traditions and, and draw from some more traditional things too, and have this like weird, awesome gay wedding that I'm really excited. <laughs> to <be in. laughs> I love it. Well, I, I should say upfront because I have talked a lot about my queerness and my political affiliation for quite some time, but I love your social media because you are also very much on the front lines advocating for what needs to be advocated for. Um, so if you feel so comfortable to share your social media with, with us, so that way if people choose to follow you and kind of help build this community that we've now since created, um, how can people go about doing that? Yeah, so I mean, I'm on Twitter uh, at Ben Steffi and I'm Ben Steffi on Facebook. Those are the two I most frequently post on. I will say I'm not a prolific poster. I think rule number one of having a Twitter, especially after seeing so many people like self-emulate with bad tweets is like, don't tweet unless you have something really important to say. <laughs> <laughs> but if, I mean, it's a wonderful place to just like view ideas, maybe not comment on them, but just see what everybody in the world is thinking and doing and absolutely um, experiencing. Yeah, like, like I mentioned, uh, I think before we started recording, like I'm, I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm on it all the time. I just, uh, I tweet sparingly, I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but still a good follow to have. Well, I appreciate yeah. you taking time to chat with me and I, I wish you all the best of luck because I mean, I won't be present um, for a lot of the, the next few months of your journey, but it sounds like you've, you've made the right decisions, you've gone the right way. And I will say, even though we did talk about the rights and wrongs, you are living the Ben Steffi life in the right way that you need to live it, it seems. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been it's been great seeing you, like following you on social media uh, all this time. And I've been a big fan and super proud of all the work you've done. So keep it up. Uh, keep fighting the good fight.